recording. Okay. Hello, Fatima. Welcome. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Um, so it took us a while to get this going. I think we it took like a week or something. Because yeah, I feel like we're both so busy. It's quite hard to reschedule. Yeah. Um, like we wanted to do Wednesday, but you had... What do you have on Monday? What did I do? I had um, this procedure called an endoscopy. Uh, where they put you to sleep and obviously I've been suffering from abdominal pain severe abdominal pain really uh, for the past one and a half years now um, and I've been under investigation for that for the past one and a half years and it's been really difficult for them to actually figure out what's going wrong in my if body you can call it investigation <laughs> <laughs> because they just um, keep so this... sending you to because like I know you personally and yeah it annoys me all the time that um, whenever you go and they make some kind of test, you just come back and they're like, oh, we didn't really know what it is. But you just keep yeah. going to those tests. Yeah, I feel like I've done so many tests and every single time I did a test, um, it'd come back and they'd say, oh, there's nothing that's showing in the test to say that there's anything wrong with you. And it was always quite disheartening every single time I went because it felt like, I'm not lying, but they can't see anything as well. So what is the missing gap in the middle where if I'm not lying and it's not in my head and I know it's not in my head, why can't they see anything? Why isn't my body showing something going wrong when physically I can feel it? And I think that was a constant battle in my head. I had, um, I talked to my husband about it a lot and I'd get very upset every time my doctor was going to ring me with results. I'd feel very excited, but very anxious because I knew either it's, going to be something wrong which they can sort out or it's going to be nothing and then I'm back to square one again and a lot of the times although it's a, it was a good thing that there was nothing wrong it was always disheartening knowing that there was nothing wrong that they can't fix because until they find something that's wrong they, they can't help me so is this like, last test can it is it like that they say you nothing is wrong but you know that something is wrong yeah so I keep thinking to myself that, yeah, so I keep thinking, am I lying? Like, is it really all in my head? And I've just made this whole pain up and, you know, and there's really nothing wrong because I had an MRI scan, CT scans, cameras down, three, four cameras down and blood tests after blood tests and nothing. Every single time it was nothing until very recently they started to see things, which was <laughs> a big breakthrough long? for me. <laughs> how <laughs> long was a very it? long time. One and a half years. One and a half years until they actually found something now. Yeah. I remember when this pain started, yeah, and I was in severe pain. I used to wake up in the middle of the night crying because I didn't know what this new pain was. I was already going through treatment and for TB. So and then it, was I was... it like after you started treatment? Yeah. So it was halfway through my treatment that this stomach okay. ache started. So I still had to carry on with my TB medication whilst dealing with the stomach ache. So... I didn't know what to exactly do. So this test was supposed to be the final test, fingers crossed, <laughs> um, to figure out what's actually going wrong. And we might be onto a breakthrough. <laughs> Hopefully, we, they, they've taken some biopsies and um, we're hoping for some results really to figure out what's wrong and how to treat it now. At last. <laughs> yes. like how do, you, how do you deal with that fact that... Um, you know something is wrong you feel something is wrong 
also you said that you you might even like question whether you're lying to them whether you know you know that you're not lying but how you you deal with that like uncertainty that you know something is wrong and it's not something like minor it's pretty serious mm-hmm. how do you deal with oh, that, yeah. like, when you don't know I feel like it was a lot of if I was on my own I think I'd struggle a lot because when I was living at uni and I had this pain I did struggle quite a bit as you know like you were there when I was we did uni together and it was very difficult doing my degree whilst being in this pain I missed a lot of uni and you were really good at hiding that pain though yeah (laughs) um like, I felt like, it it you, like you don't want others to see that you're in the pain or like what's the reason why you wouldn't show it because like many times when I would offer you let's say when we went to the Tesco and I said if I can help you with bags and you were like no 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 I'm good and I can see that you you are you don't you don't have a lot of energy but you wouldn't allow to help so like why is it I don't know is it hard to show that you are in a pain and if it is like what what is the hard part about it it was hard to show that I was in pain because I felt like no one actually knew the kind of pain I was going through. So I felt like trying to describe this pain was impossible for someone that was not going through the pain to understand it. For example, if someone's had a paper cut, you know what the paper cut feels like. So if I tell you I've had a paper cut, you can, you can understand what kind of pain that is. But when I tell you I'm suffering from multidrug resistant tuberculosis and I've got abdominal pain now, from the medication or whatsoever there's no way you can understand that because you've not been through it and that's not your fault that's not anyone else's fault but I struggled and you eventually start to feel like a burden for the people around you because you're going through something and you don't want to you don't want to be the person that ruins everyone else's mood because you're not well so I feel like I had two personalities I had one personality where I was a uni student. I was socializing with my friends as much as I could, going out, see them, going for food. And then there was a person when I'd get into my room and I'd have like a big box of medication and like I'd be on my own with my condition where I could actually feel like me. Where if I didn't feel like getting out of bed, I didn't. But when I was with my friends, I had a whole new personality where no one would, no one actually knew the severity of my condition because I never showed it enough. And I feel guilty for doing that because I should have given my condition more importance. And I've realized that now. But when I was going through it, I just felt like maybe these people don't really need to know. It's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a morbid situation to be in. And then you don't want to spread the negativity. And that's what I think I struggled with. And I struggled to see how much I was going through. Like I, I felt like because it was a day to day thing for me, I kind of just adjusted and adapted my life around it. I didn't feel like I had a massive change and I should have let myself feel that, but I didn't at the time. Yeah, well, even if you say that you felt like you you would be a burden for me, like I knew, well, as much as you told me, because when you were in hospital, <laughs> I just thought that you have nothing serious. You just, I would just text you like you, you, I think there was that one lecture that you said you don't feel well, so you went to hospital. And after that, I didn't meet you. But every once in a while, I would text you, ask you how you are. You're like, oh, I'm good. I'm in hospital. And I'm like, you didn't say anything more. And I'm like, okay, probably like nothing serious. Then a few weeks later, I would be like, how are you? Oh, yeah, I'm still in hospital. And I would feel like it's nothing important. (laughs) But you were like fighting for your life, being in isolation. But it's like, even the fact that when, like what you said about feeling like a burden, 
for me, it was more like inspirational to see that you go through all that and at no point did you complain or you or you jumped in like victim mentality about like, oh, I missed like one semester of uni or uh, I don't know, all the pain. At no point did you complain about it. You, mm-hmm. you were like more towards like hiding it. Um, and what you said about that people don't understand where you, how it is to have it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you would describe somebody how it is, how would you describe it? The TB medication, taking all of that? Just, or just having the TB, pain. how it is to live with TB. Okay, so to be honest, my symptoms started in first year of university. So I just moved away from home. I moved to Liverpool and, you know, I was excited to finally Which start. first this or whole. second year? It was first year. At the end of first year, I was diagnosed, okay. yeah. So all my symptoms started in first year, um, but I didn't give enough notice to them. I okay. thought I had a really bad cough and I always didn't think that this cough was anything serious. And then we finished my eye exams and everything. And then I went home and I was sweating at night so badly that I used to have to get up in the middle of the night, change my clothes, uh, wait for my mattress duvet and everything to dry up because I was drenched in my own sweat. And then I'd go back to bed and change my pajamas and everything. And I didn't, it took me a while to realize that, okay, something's wrong. My parents started to worry and they were like, okay, we need to take you to a doctor. There's nothing, something's wrong. And I feel like symptoms like that, I should have picked up on earlier. And the coughing was honestly horrendous. Like, I felt like I was a smoker, genuinely. Like, it was a really horrible cough. And I was very weak. I lost so many kgs. I think I lost like nine kgs. And I didn't realize that in me still um, until obviously I went to the hospital. And it was difficult because doctors couldn't see the TB either for a while. So I was constantly again. What was the reason for the weight loss? Uh, TB, if you want, TB, one of the symptoms of TB is having weight loss. So tuberculosis, you eventually lose weight, you have hot sweats, you lose your appetite, stuff like that. Um, so I was losing like a lot of weight, um, but How I didn't long notice. Did it take for them to? You said it took them a while to actually notice that you have a TB. How long yeah. did it take for them to actually diagnose it? Um, it took me a while to actually go to bring myself to go to a doctor. So I think it took me a couple of months to even go to a doctor to start off with, and then Why it took that? at least like <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. Yeah, I thought there's something. We all do. I think that's that's what we all have. Is that many times when yeah. you have some symptoms, you're like, I'm okay, like not, nothing is wrong with me, you know? Or maybe yeah. you want to believe that. Or maybe we don't want to know what actually is going on. So we're like, I'm fine, yeah. I will get better, which sometimes I think don't. one of the biggest <laughs> lessons, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is to listen to your body. Because I wish I listened to my body earlier. I would have been treated earlier, but I didn't. I ignored what my body was screaming at me. I just silenced it instead. Um, so eventually it took I think it took like three or four months for the doctors to actually see that because I had very 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 high temperatures mm. um, and I think that was the first like red, red red light for them and they obviously took me to the hospital and they diagnosed with tuberculosis now tuberculosis is obviously um, it was a kind of it wasn't as pop like it's not as popular as we hear cancer and stuff like that. So at the time, I didn't really know what tuberculosis was. That's um, so well known. <laughs> yeah, Everyone I I, I didn't popular. know. <laughs> I didn't know what anything was at the time, and I wish I did 
because I wish there was more around what tuberculosis is. So as you know, tuberculosis is obviously a bacterial infection that's spread through droplets in the air. And if you if an infectious person coughs it, you could breathe it in and eventually catch it. Um, so I was told that I had tuberculosis. I had to isolate at home for two weeks. Um, which is fine, and they give you all your medication, and so it's a six is, months. So that is when course. they diagnose you with the tuberculosis, not the mold drug resistant. Yeah. So, so at the start, they didn't you sit know. Down, sit sit home like two weeks. Yeah. So I just had to stay okay. at home for two weeks, and the basically the idea is that once you once you're diagnosed with TB, uh, the first two weeks you're infectious, and then once you've taken medication for the first two weeks of the six month course, you're not infectious anymore, okay. so you're okay to be around people. So after two weeks, I kind of came back to uni. I remember, and we started second year at that time, and um, I was in the middle of a lecture. I think I was sat next to you actually yeah. when I received I a call from one of my nurses. Yeah, so I remember I receiving a call from the nurses. And they said, oh, you know, you need to pack a bag and you need to come back home and um, come straight to the hospital. And I didn't, still didn't know what was going on. And I realized when I got there. How was it receiving that call? If they tell you just like, oh, pack and come to hospital. How was it receiving that call? I personally thought it'd be like three, four days that they'd want to keep me in. So I kind of didn't pack very well. I should have, but I packed yeah. like three, four pairs of pajamas because, <laughs> yeah, because I didn't know what was wrong with me. They don't let you know over the phone. They wait until you come in. Oh, okay. So I went back home. Um, my parents took me to the hospital and it was just a case of a consultant sitting me down, telling me, okay, you have multidrug resistant tuberculosis. Now, in none of that conversation did he tell me exactly what multidrug resistant tuberculosis was. And I was so scared that I didn't ask at the time and I wish I did, but I didn't feel like he was interested enough to tell me anyway. So they put a mask on me and they took me to a negative pressure room uh, where basically I was isolated. And yeah, what I is ended a negative up staying. pressure room? A negative pressure room is that the air that you breathe and everything, it doesn't leave the, it leaves through a vent. So there's no air going into the hospital hallways. Okay. There's no air leaving the windows outside. You're not allowed to open anything you're in your own separate space basically and the air there's a vent upset in the ceiling and it just goes through there and gets out um and I ended up staying in isolation for 50 days uh which was difficult because I didn't know how to that was the time when if I would ask you how you are you would tell me oh I'm still in the hospital yeah yeah. And you wouldn't tell me anything um, about being in isolation, yeah. being multi-drug resistant TB, nothing <laughs> about it. I think <laughs> that was, that, that, yeah, I think that was the whole, I, I didn't want to, not brag in a sense, but I didn't want anyone to think, it wasn't even a case of, oh, I didn't want to show my weakness. I just didn't, I didn't see how bad it was anyway. I didn't understand how bad multidrug-resistant tuberculosis was because no one told me what it was. So I know I spent the first night trying to would remember. Would you wish you knew how bad it was? Do you think it would have affected you anyway if you knew how bad it was? I wish I knew. I wish I knew like how bad it was and like what the like what can what can what 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 can go wrong with it or you know how you can be treated for it and what the survival rate is stuff like that I wish I was known because my doctor could have told me in a comforting way that okay you're gonna get better but these are things like when I had this test they said oh you, you know you could have a tear inside your body and you might need a blood transfusion and stuff like that but they still reassure you that 
that's very rare to happen. You'll still be okay, you know. But with this whole thing, I remember my doctor just told me, oh, it's just multidrug resistant tuberculosis. You're going to have to stay in hospital. Now my treatment went from six months to 24 months. And the medication changed. And it was a case of remembering at night when I was on my own my first night, I remember trying to remember in my head what my doctor said. So I know he said tuberculosis, but I couldn't remember the words multidrug resistant because I'd never heard of it before. And there was no mention of it after that. So I remember trying to Google, you know, attached to tuberculosis. And then the one that ring the bell in my head was, oh, that's what he said, multidrug resistant tuberculosis. And then I started to research and then notice myself that, okay, Wait, this you is serious. This while you were in isolation? Yes, because I was on my own. I had nothing else to do. I spent a lot of time researching my own condition and what was happening inside my body. And I feel like I may have not mentioned what multidrug resistant tuberculosis is. It's basically... So the TB that I was diagnosed with in the first two weeks is a course of medication for six months. And uh, multidrug resistant tuberculosis means that the medication that you take for TB for the six months, there's two of the medications which are called isoniazid and rifampicin, which basically your body is resistant to, so they don't have an effect on your body. So when I was taking them for the first two weeks, they made no difference to my body. My body was just resistance to, towards it. So the next course of medication for multidrug resistant tuberculosis is a lot more toxic and has a lot more side effects. I remember side effects such as like my skin went red, you know, I was sweating pink, my tears were pink, my nails went pink. I was, my pigmentation was horrendous. I lost a lot of weight. I was struggling with my hair loss and stuff like that. Things that you don't realize by one of the medications uh, and I now have peripheral neuropathy, so I can't feel my feet, my toes anymore because of the medication and stuff like that. And I didn't realize all this was happening because no one told me. So I spent a lot of time in isolation just researching. But so with the feet, how, how, did it, that, that, how did that happen? Because I remember that we were in lecture and you said that you can't feel your feet. Yeah, so it, it starts off as, one of the medications, basically, it's called Nesalid. Um, it has a side effect where you start to get like a burning sensation in your feet. So it's like a constant pins and needles, but it's burning and it's constantly there and you can't wear your shoes. I remember I got to a point where I couldn't wear my own shoes. So I used to walk to the hospital and I used to have to walk in like sandals or slippers because my feet just wouldn't fit into my shoes anymore. It was just so painful. And so it's we, not because the of the size of the feet, it's because of the pain you feel when yeah. you wear yeah. shoes. Okay. Even if I was just lying in bed, the pain would be intense. Like I just couldn't live with my own feet. It was just constant like burning and poking inside my feet. Um, but as soon as the doctors realized, they stopped the medication that I was taking for that. And it was okay. It was safe enough to stop that medication. And the... I eventually went through a few tests and we figured that there was nerve damage so the nerves in the end of my toes have basically died because of the medication so although I have feeling in my foot I have no feeling in my toes so the only downside to that really is now that when I got my toenails it's quite hard to know how deep to go in but at the start I used to trip over my own feet a lot because I wasn't used uh, to it but now I'm, I've just gotten used to the whole thing so it's not that bad and with the medication I don't know if you remember the number, but how many pills did you take in all the time you? I think you you wrote somewhere I actually that don't was, remember. Um, five hundred ninety-four days of oral medication. 
So it's like yeah, it's almost two years of taking yeah. medication I'm every not... single day. It wasn't like one or two pills. It was like how many a day? There was like nine or ten boxes. And I used to, because there were so many, I used to have um, a pill organizer for the whole week where I just, every, every Sunday was my routine to pop the pills in. So then I remember a.m., lunchtime, breakfast and, you know, dinner time and what to take because there was no way I could remember so much. Um, but as long as well as the oral medication, I did have uh, IV medication. So uh, it was a pick line basically inserted. It goes from the inside of your arm and it goes all the way and it sits on the top of your chest, this line. And three times a week for eight months, I used to go to the doctors, the hospital and get an IV medication. That was one of the medications as well that I had to take. So not only was it oral medication, it was taking the medication through an IV line which was a lot time time consuming for a uni student really trying so to... So how long you had to go three times a week? For eight months. Eight months. So... Yeah. so every Monday, Wednesday, Friday was my routine to basically go to the hospital. While still studying full-time? Two semesters yes, in one. I was doing two semesters together. So yeah. how do you manage to get that done? Because I like, was very you, determined. You said you didn't have a lot of energy as well. So it's not just like, let's say me. I'm healthy. I don't have like, I don't feel tired most of the time. Well, sometimes I do. I'm still human. But it's like <laughs> most of the time, I I don't feel that tired. So I can get like uni work done or whatever done work that I needed to get done at the time. But it's different when you feel you have less energy just because you you're pretty much fighting for your life. And then you have to do, go to hospital three times a day. And then on top of that, you also do uni. So how do you get that done? Um, I didn't want my condition to determine the person I'd become. Because I always had in my head that one day, whether it's 594 days later or more than that later, one day I'm gonna make sure I'm cured from this. I'm going to make sure I take my medication every day. I'm going to make sure I never miss a dose. I'm going to make sure I go for my IV therapies. I'm going to make sure I do everything to get better, change my diet, you know, eat better, whatever I had to do to get better. But then at the end of it, oh yeah, I'll be treated. But then what else do I have? Because I have a life to live once my medication is finished. I can't let my treatment and my condition shape the person I'm going to be once it's finished. Because once it's done, I'm just going to be left with being, oh, a TB survivor, which is a great thing. But I also wanted a career and I wanted to do something with my life that didn't determine. I didn't want I didn't want my condition to determine the person I'd be for the rest of my life. And although I've made decisions now to basically use my condition as such a strong it influenced me so much that now I'm working in the field of tuberculosis. You know, I'm doing a master's degree in tuberculosis and international public health to basically eventually have a career surrounding TB and helping people with tuberculosis. I didn't want my condition to stop me from graduating and finishing my undergraduate degree because then I'd be, I wouldn't have anything. I needed something to keep me busy because I knew that if I didn't, I probably would have gone into a very dark hole very quickly and it would it wouldn't it would it would be really easy for me to go into that hole but I decided that I'd fight against that and do my uni really so how is that 
I think we had this conversation last week as well about the identity. Um, because having life-threatening disease, it does affect the way you identify yourself. Because like, I remember I asked you if you remember the Fatima before TB. It's like, you don't I remember. don't know who she is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how does, maybe how has having multidrug resistant TB has affected maybe your identity or the way you see yourself? I feel like I see myself as a stronger person because I feel, I felt like I didn't, have a very strong identity before my condition and I feel like my condition has shaped a lot of my choices now I I take chances I I, I take opportunities by the hand now when before I would be very reluctant to I, I I used to hate doing presentations in uni I used to hate public speaking I used I I would never do things like that but I know that once I got diagnosed and I was asked to do a lot of speeches and talks and in front of so many people and so many cameras I was so passionate about it that I was able to get over that fear and I feel like it's made me it's made me identify myself a lot better and recognize my own strengths that I didn't even know I had because I was so it, it's a shame that it took a life-threatening disease to make me realize my own worth and how much I'm capable of but so I in a way although it was so hard for me to get through I am very grateful because it shaped the person I've become now and yeah, I don't recognize the person I used to be before it, but do I want to? I, I'm happier with the person I am now because I actually have a purpose of what I want to do and who I want to help and where I want to go in the future. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I think many times when it comes to life-threatening diseases, people that survive them, even like a lot of times people don't want others to feel sorry for them for having it. Mm -hmm. because you're the only one who can actually see that it has made you stronger and there's so many good things despite the bad happening yeah. um that it's even like when it comes to hardships i think unless somebody is in really in a situation where you deal with like really big hardship not like i don't know let's say if you didn't have tb and you had to finish two semesters in one it's still a bit hard but it's not like a, a really hard situation to go through but mm -hmm. in your case it was like you fight for your life and you finish uni mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. COVID happened as well <laughs> so like yeah. many things they happened at once that mm -hmm. um going through those hardships it's like I think it's not just when you fight like life-threatening disease it's just any hardships that you go through they actually make you um stronger so like how would you say yeah. what would you say is the importance of um i don't know let's say okay let's what did you say are the hardest things that you had to overcome during this like period of time that you had tb um the hardest was probably um coming out of isolation I found that very difficult and I found that very difficult because I couldn't acknowledge what was going on. I didn't really suffer from like anxiety or, you know, things like that before I was diagnosed. So when I came out of isolation and I started feeling weird to, I know there was 
a part of you when I was in Liverpool that I couldn't cross a specific road once I came out of isolation. Oh, yeah. Before I, I, I came out of isolation, <laughs> <laughs> I would. I, I remember I, I sent you a picture of that road, and I was like, "Are you crossing? <laughs> 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 when are you gonna get it done?" <laughs> and that road, I I couldn't understand why. Every time I get to that road, I divert my route and I just go around the other way. I wouldn't even think about it. It just naturally happened to me. And then when I used to walk to the library, um, I used to feel like everyone in the library could see me and every, all eyes were on me. And I think that road that I couldn't cross was such a long road and all the cars park, uh, are parked at the traffic light. And I just felt like all the attention was on me. And I think it was because now that I think about it, I think it was because I was so used to no one looking at me, being completely on my own, to now all of a sudden being just let out into the world again after 50 days of being completely isolated, to be around other people that I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everyone could see me differently because the person I was before I went into isolation and the person I came out after isolation was a different person. And I felt like everyone could see that different person, even though my pick line was obviously covered and no one could see the pigmentation of my skin or you know the redness and stuff like that I felt like everyone could see a new person and it was just all eyes on me and I struggled with that a lot but again when I reached out for help it was very hard because there was no one else going through the same thing as me so there were no focus groups or no support groups that I could help with I was very lucky to have a lot of nurses and doctors that were very friendly with me and would text me and come to see me so I didn't feel very unusual but that was the battle I had to face because I didn't know what it felt like to be so alone and then completely let into the public. I had instances where because people can't see your condition, they can't help you or they'll, they'll, they'll treat you like you're just a normal person. And I had an instance where I used to go for my IV medications and I took the lift Uh, my therapy was on the third floor and I I used to wait for the lift every other day and this lift was really busy and I basically got into the lift and this man this old man basically just looked at me and was like well why are you in the lift you shouldn't be here you're quite young take the stairs and there was around like eight people in that lift before this was all before COVID and I stayed quiet and I hate myself for staying quiet in that situation I couldn't open my mouth and say to this man that wait I have a pick line I'm going for IV therapy because I'm suffering from tuberculosis multi-drug resistant tuberculosis where it's in my lungs and I struggle to breathe if I walk for too long let alone climbing three flights of stairs but I couldn't say anything to that man because tuberculosis is so shamed I felt like oh if I say I have TB every single person in this lift is going to be scared of me and they're not going to want to be around me And now that I think about it, as soon as it happened, I was like, damn, I should have said something. I should have stood up for myself. And I probably would now, but it's a bit too late. (laughs) I think it also, it made me think about um, many times. It doesn't even have to be having a disease, but like, let's stick to the disease. When somebody has a disease, they, they are ashamed of it. So maybe if you Mm -hmm. felt shame, you didn't want to speak up about it. Um, Because like, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's mad as, it's as if you would be embarrassed of having disease. Mm -hmm. But like, if maybe once you start owning it and you actually feel proud of yourself, 
and yeah. it's like it's part of your life and you are proud of yourself that you actually are going through this and you're getting stronger I think that's when you're able to stand up for yourself yeah I think yeah definitely now I'm so proud of saying oh yeah I survived multiple tuberculosis like I'm very open about it you know I have my own Instagram pages I I'm quite active on Twitter and I'm doing a lot of work where I'm recognized as a multidrug resistant tuberculosis survivor. I found it hard to say that I was a patient because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't necessarily embarrassed or ashamed of what I was going through, but I know people wouldn't accept me for me if I told them what was wrong with me. And I would rather not tell anyone and just be treated normally than be treated differently in a wrong way because I feel like like for example let's take COVID-19 into perspective everyone knows about COVID-19 but no one realizes that tuberculosis even though right now currently COVID-19 is the world's deadliest infectious killer tuberculosis is second in the world it, it kills so many COVID. yeah but now that COVID, obviously, I know COVID has killed a lot of people, but tuberculosis is still killing so many people and there's no recognition for it. Nothing. So when, when you do mention TB, I'm not surprised people get scared because there's no information on it. But if you mention COVID, there's so much to, you know, there's so much, po so many posters and so many people talking about it. The news is always about it. But before COVID, there was no news lines about tuberculosis and how hard it that was for people when you go to a doctor's surgery there's no posters of oh there's there's posters for like oh breast cancer and stuff like that which is equally as important but why is there never a poster to say check your signs for tuberculosis these symptoms if you feel like you've got these symptoms talk to the receptionist talk to your gp because if i had seen something like that when i started getting this cough when i started getting the uh, sweats and weight loss and stuff i would have automatically thought to myself I need to go to a doctor because I might have tuberculosis, but because I didn't have that, I didn't think to do that. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so how does how does that maybe like um, affect you, or maybe for you as a TB's previous patient's survival? Um, how does it feel maybe? Because I think many times what happens is that when you have really serious disease, to extent yeah. you identify with it, because like, it's just, it's not something that, I don't know, my leg hurts a little and it just goes away, but it's, it's something you live with constantly. Mm -hmm. How does it affect you that, or maybe what, what it makes you think that when you see that there's so many posters about other diseases that are um, as life threatening, but there's pretty much nothing about yours as if it's well not that it's not important but it might seem like that seeing that there's mm. pretty much nothing out there or like like you couldn't find any support groups and things like that when you felt like you just you just didn't know what you're actually up against yeah um I started off feeling very annoyed and I was in a mindset where it was a bad mindset because I used to think that I used to, I started off with not having emotion towards people who are suffering with stuff like that, that has recognition or like, because I always felt like, yeah, but 
I have it worse or I have it the same as you, but there's no help for me. Whereas there's so much for you. Like you're so like you it's not fair that so I I eventually started off with not feeling sorry for people because I felt like, well, no one really has that for me. No one really sees what I'm up against. So why is it oh, you know, when when you have a certain condition, there's so much like help for you. You didn't show people that as well. Yeah. But like, I felt like there was like, no point. Society is not educated. But was it also, it might have ex- affected the fact that you didn't feel maybe safe to share that because nobody really knows about it. If it was like, mm. let's say, if it's cancer, then if you share about it, then people know what it is. Mm. So that might make yeah. you feel maybe more secure, more like, it just feels yeah. more likely you're going to share it with people. Yeah. But so when I when I realized that there was nothing out there for me, I I basically stopped thinking like that because I realized that everyone has their own struggles. And, you know, even though right now mine seems bad, I 100% know there's people out there who have it worse than me. Although for me, this was the worst I, I could have been. I was like, I was suggesting you to help you with uni and things like that, because like, obviously <laughs> you're, you're like not at your best health. And I just wanted to help you with like, having like a lot yeah. of energy and things like that i said i can buy you some like groceries and bring them to you and things like that and you're like no no no, i'm good i don't need <laughs> like you would never like you would never like ask for help or maybe even admit that you need that or you would benefit from it you wanted to and mm-hmm. i think we also when we went from tesco that day we also talked about how important it is for you to still feel that even though you are sick, you're still able to be independent. That you don't yeah. have to rely on other people. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. you're you're a bit like making it harder for yourself. Yeah. I feel like being independent was a big thing for me because I realized like at the start when I used to, so you have to go to clinic every so often, every couple of weeks uh, to see your consultant and then obviously get your medication and stuff like that. And when I used to walk into the clinic room, everyone had someone with them. So like everyone had a family member with them and everyone was a lot older than me. So it was like a father and a child, a son bringing his dad or something like that, husband and wife coming in. And, you know, everyone had that support system. But at the start, I used to think, oh, I actually have no one. I was like, a, I was 20 years old. Uh, I had to use Google Maps to get myself to the hospital because I've never been to the hospital in Liverpool new city new hospital new doctors everything and it felt quite lonely at the start but I slowly like as as time went on I was very proud of myself of how independent I was and how I was able to go through all my appointments on my own taking all the information from my doctors on my own and it really helped that the consultant I had in Liverpool he's great for me like I couldn't have asked for a better doctor to help me get through this so I think that helped a lot and that so changed my mindset. With that loneliness at the beginning. Um, I think, <laughs> I think it was obviously seeing my friends. Like I saw you quite often. I used to see my friends. Like my parents would, you know, always like check up on me. I'd have my nurses that used to come and visit me at my room. Uh, they'd text me to see how I was. Occasional phone calls. Obviously, I have my faith that helped me quite a bit because if I felt very alone I knew in the middle of the night I could wake up and you know I still I didn't feel alone like that um and really just focusing on what I wanted to do after this like what I was always 
determined to figure out what's next. And when you asked me that, oh, you know, there was no recognition about your condition, how did that make you feel? I feel like now I took matters into my own hands and I'm trying to bring recognition to my own condition by doing work around it, by going to these talks, you know, uh, being part of the WHO Civil, ta ta Civil Society Task Force with TB, being part of loads of different executive committees and stuff that that concentrate on eradicating TB and that gives importance. And that's where I feel most important as well. I feel wanted in places like that because I'm important there. But when I'm when I'm not in that surrounding... You're also wanted for the fact that you have that disease. So it's yeah. like, it might even be like empowering because it's not about, oh, like, we don't want you because like you, you have this. We actually want you because you have it. And you can share your experience, yeah. your knowledge. They see my like importance. Yeah. yeah, they see my importance and see what I can bring to the table with my condition. Whereas I had instances where I remember when I first wanted to get transferred to Liverpool to carry on with uni, I had to go through a disability process to help me with my laptops or whatever. And I went to the appointment and the lady walked out of the room and with no explanation or anything, but it was just a case of because she read my condition she said oh I don't want to treat her you know she might be infectious and it put me off so much that I never went back to them again I said to them I didn't want their help anymore I didn't want to be helped by someone that can't understand what I'm going through so I never went back to them but things like that like that's what I mean like but when I'm working with people who are interested in my condition I feel like I'm I'm I feel like I'm wanted and I, I feel important enough that my my opinions and my condition actually is valued and matters. And, you can and that's also, helped me a lot. In like that environment, you can also blend together that like one identity with the other. You don't have to separate them in a way. But yeah. Like, and say because when, when you're in school, you have to be like, oh, I'm a student, but I don't show anybody that I have TB. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like being, I feel like the experiences I have being a patient a lot of the people I work with are researchers or doctors or stakeholders and stuff like that. So for them to have a patient experience is a big deal because they don't deal with patients a lot. So I feel like I can bring a lot to the table by explaining how difficult it is to be a patient really and to have survived it. And now the things that I'm accomplishing obviously are on top of it, which I'm obviously very proud of now, but it took me a long time to understand that what I'm going through, I should be proud of. So what made you realize that? At what point did you realize that you're actually proud of yourself and that, you, that you're going through this? Uh, it took a lot of a lot of persuasion from friends, family, my husband, my parents to tell me constantly that they're proud of me. And then obviously, once I was diagnosed, um, I started. I was invited to talks by all these big people that suddenly, all of a sudden, had interest in me and. I've never had that before because I was just, you know, going through life being a uni student, school, you know, high school, college, uni, and I was just going to eventually find a job and, you know, settle down. And now all of a sudden I have this bad disease, a life-threatening condition, but now there's this popularity where people want me and people want me to attend these talks and give my experience and my journey. It was like a sense of importance from people that you wouldn't expect to look at you twice. But now all of a sudden they want to know my story and they were interested in me. And I feel like they really helped me because they 
constantly reassured me of how important me sharing my journey is for them and like they give me that importance and I, I slowly started to realize that okay if these people think that genuinely what I have to say is meaningful and power empowering and you know it touches them then there must be something in my story that I'm not seeing and I still tell you to this day that I don't see what I went through as a big thing because I just had to go through the motions and I did that very easily when I think about it but when I look back if I sit down and I don't let myself do this often because it's probably a scary place to be in looking at what I went through but when I do try and even think for a glimpse like for a moment about all the things I went through I see that these people that constantly invited me to these conferences and stuff were right like what I have is important and it can help someone so I think that's what really pushed me out to understand that hold on you, you know what you've done is incredible really yeah like I'm, I'm always interested to like I'm happy we're having this conversation because I wanted I have always wanted to ask you more questions about how you actually well first survive this but also make it look so easy like Mm. at no point did you complain like I never felt like you would complain or anything or even the fact that you would bring it up in conversation unless I would ask you most of the time yeah (laughs) just like have conversation I would be like oh how is your health (laughs) and then you're like oh I have a stomachache I have this I have that but like at no point did you like complain about we can have a conversation and unless I ask you something about it, you would never show that you're like in a bad pain or something like that. So it's like one thing I wanted to talk about is how do you deal with um, constant pain that you have? Like it's one thing is that you have pain for like, let's say few moments and then it's gone yeah. or maybe like few days. But if it's like months, maybe years, and you mm-hmm. just feel that pain all the time. How do you deal with having like constant pain? To be honest, I'll, I'll be very, very honest with you. I still to this day struggle with how to manage it on some days. I sometimes waking up in the middle of the night is probably one of the worst things for me because the pain is so intense that every night it wakes me up from my sleep. So where do to, you have you know, that pain mainly? It's just my stomach pain and it starts some it and there's no there's no given time for when this pain comes and I'm constantly taking painkillers to help myself and right now the only way I'm having this podcast conversation with you is because I have started a course of steroids and once I take steroids I do really well with them but I know that the anxiety I'm so anxious about stopping these steroids because I know the pain is going to come back and it's tried and tested that every time I stop the steroids the pain comes back and there's days and where and you and I know you remember you told me as well that you don't want really to take them yeah I feel like the side effects are so strong that I don't want to I feel like I fed my body so many medication so much medication for so long that I want to give it a break but I can't because I can't handle the pain anymore either and if you saw me in the house some like most days I am usually curled up into a ball, into a fetal position. So my knees are literally attached to my chest and I'm curled into a ball the whole day. Sometimes, you know, I, I can't eat because my stomach hurting so bad. So until I take painkillers, I can't bring myself to eat because I'll just vomit. And the pain is so intense. I'm constantly vomiting. Or even when I sleep, sometimes I'm in a fetal position because of the pain. And there's, 
I don't remember the last time I got to lie on my back flat because the pain just won't let me. And that's annoying for someone like me because I find it quite comfortable. You know, when you're lying on the sofa watching telly, you're lying on your back, but I can't do that anymore. And obviously I really appreciate when I'm on the steroids that I can, I'm able to do stuff like that. You know, I'm able to, I'm able to get into the kitchen and cook and, you know, clean and do my uni work. And let's not forget, I still have a master's degree to get through for the whole year. And it's, it puts me behind a lot sometimes, but I have obviously support at home. Like I live with my husband, so he helps a lot. And, you know, he always tells me how well I'm doing, which is really helpful because the worst thing is when you're not feeling well and then you're just, you feel like you're a burden on this other person that you have to live with. Like, although I'm married to him, I know we talked about this before, I feel like I'm married to my own condition too. And I can't get away from this pain. And there are days where I feel very upset and I just want to cry because I don't know what's wrong with me and I don't know why this pain is happening and I don't know when it's going to stop. I have no idea when I'll be rid of this pain and I don't know what's caused it to be so bad for me. Like I felt like having drug-resistant tuberculosis was the worst it could get. But now that I've conquered that, I can't get rid of the second phase. Like it's like you have to win some to lose some. And in order for me to be cured of the tuberculosis, I've now been left with this abdominal pain that I can't get rid of either. So I do try and appreciate the days where I don't have the pain or the few hours that I don't have the pain. But when the pain comes back, like I'm so anxious to leave the house now, like going for a walk or going for food shopping. Like I'm so scared because once I stomach pain attacks, that's it. I can't even stand up anymore. Like there's no way I can do anything. And it does limit me a lot because I would love to go for a walk every day, but I can't do that because the pain won't let me. So I feel like to be 23 years old, and to be worried about leaving the house is very concerning to me because that shouldn't be my main concern. My concern should be elsewhere, not worrying about, I have to schedule my life around my pain. I can't wake Which, up. Which like, my can't my, schedule because it comes and goes, right? It's not like, yeah, you can, so if oh, my today husband from this asks time me, to this time, I'm going to have pain, <laughs> then we can do something. <laughs> so if my husband asks me, oh, you know, what would you like to do tomorrow? I'm like, well, that's not to me. Well, I'll let you know because when my stomach hurts, then we won't be able to do anything. But if my stomach's fine, we're fine to do whatever you want. And you won't believe it, but I have painkillers next to my bedside. I have painkillers in the car. I have painkillers in my uni bag. I have painkillers in the living room, in the kitchen. I'm constantly surrounded by painkillers because I don't know when that pain's going to come. And I don't want to stop living my life, but I kind of have to slow down and slow down by a very large amount for someone my age I didn't expect like I I remember thinking I'm 23 years old and I didn't expect my life at 23 to be the way it is right now and I don't remember I don't even remember that it's been almost three years since I was diagnosed because from 20 to 23 it's, it's like it's like my brain doesn't want to remember the time that I've had so I'm when someone sometimes when people ask me how old are you by accident I do end up saying I'm 20 because the I don't even want to my it's like my brain doesn't want to remember the trauma I've been through for three years the pain that I've been through so I might I almost think that my life like at the time you didn't really realize it was a trauma right like it didn't feel like it you were just taking yeah. day by day 
but at the same time I feel like my brain has from that period of time yeah and I don't I only recently realized that that when people ask me how old I am and stuff like that I automatically I feel like I don't want to remember the years I've had after 20 I feel like when I was at 20 it was until then it was good and then from 20 to 23 it's just been full of like medication doctors hospitals pain and my my brain just doesn't want to remember that my brain wants to stop at 20 and that 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 scene to me is very traumatic because if my brain doesn't want me to remember something clearly it has to be bad enough for it to just I I think sometimes that after 20 like I've not really had a life when I think about it because my pain's been my life how can you make how, how can you still enjoy life while going through this because like many times when we have conversations you're like really positive we joke around like even tv you can you still joke around that you don't like yeah. let's say when we joke about it you don't feel offended and things like that so like in a sense it shows that you have accepted that it's part of your life that you're even able mm. to joke about it um but it's like how do you still maintain like joy or how do you still enjoy life while still fighting this I feel like I, one thing I, I really think I learned from all this is to not take your health for granted because eventually it catches up to you. It catches up to you. And I know this sounds weird, but some days I feel so jealous of people that don't have any pain. Like I'm really happy for them, but that makes a lot I feel, of sense. <laughs> no, like I, I feel I'm very happy for like seeing people around me and like my loved ones that are in good health but some like just for some moments I do feel like I do feel like I wish that was me again and I, I can't like I wish at 20 I just appreciated my health a lot more than I have now because I appreciate it a lot more and I wish I gave my body that time that it needed because I do anything I would literally do anything to feel healthy and be in good health now and I didn't realize the importance of that. And I wish I did. Because it's like I would have. with most of the things that you don't appreciate them until they're gone. And health is like really yeah. important factor. Because if something is wrong with your health, you will notice it. Even if it's like a sore throat. You can be in like on a beach, chill. And you can feel <laughs> sore throat. That's all you're going to think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I would, I've really, 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 like, the, like, I always tell myself that the day that I don't feel the pain or the few hours that I don't feel the pain, I'm going to make the most of that because I don't get a lot of time away from the pain. And, not, and I still tell myself that once this pain goes, I will literally do everything to look after myself and make sure I don't hurt my body or do anything to put it at any risk because... I want to protect that now so much and I wish I didn't I wish I didn't have to go through all of this to yeah. realize that but I'm glad I did because That's I probably wouldn't have still realized it yeah like I still tell people around me that you don't know how lucky you are to wake up every day and be able to just think about what you want to do in the day and think about your life rather than thinking yeah but my body I have to stop you know Even I can't like do that because walk. Yeah, I I sometimes feel so anxious to leave the room to go outside or to go shopping or do so anything. Like, is it like mainly I the, the pain that causes 
that causes that anxiety to leave. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's 100%. The pain just makes me feel like I can't be normal. Like, I can't be a normal human where, like, you can just, you know, you wake up and you're like, oh, I need to go for a walk. I need to go shopping. You know, it's quite easy for people to do. And I know how easy it was for me before. But now I'm like, hmm, is it necessary? Do you really, really need to go? Because yeah. if you don't, then there's no point. Don't don't risk it. Sometimes, like, my husband just goes shopping for both of us instead. And other times, when I'm feeling okay, or I'll take medication, sometimes I take the painkillers before I leave the house because I don't want to be so limited as well because otherwise I'm constantly at home. And that's not good for you either. But where where is the fine line between battling your mental health by not leaving the house or going anywhere or socialising or do you protect your body and listen to your body and stay at home because either way you're going to be struggling if you don't leave the house you're going to be struggling mentally because you've not socialized or had fresh air but if you stay at home you're still struggling with pain so which one do you go for and I always end up going for the pain because the pain is a lot more for me than battling my health mentally yeah so how do you deal with that um well, pretty much, I assume most of the time you just spend where you live. So like you don't, and it and it's something that's relevant to anybody now with all the lockdown yeah. going on. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know, how do you deal? Or let's say, how does being in lockdown and having your pain compares to your isolation? To be honest, I didn't find this lockdown that we had this national lockdown so difficult because I kind of felt like at least this time around I'm not alone I'm not constantly taking pills constantly having blood tests and you know I'm not cooped up in a room where I can't do anything like my room didn't have a tv or anything so I had to rely on my phone and like there was no wi-fi so I had my internet and And when I'm here to come and visit right yeah because and here at least (laughs) (laughs) no one was was allowed to visit me no one was allowed to visit me but my mom because she there was there was nobody even allowed to visit yeah no I wasn't like even if somebody wanted to visit you it probably wouldn't be no I had like a little like little window where if you wanted like desperately like for example my dad wanted to come and see me then he'd be able to just stand in that little window and like be his daughter kind of thing apart from that no one yeah because you had to basically gear up with the whole mask and the whole suit before you actually entered the room and I felt like mm-hmm. they didn't want to risk anyone of exposure to it whilst I was infectious so I feel like this lockdown I feel like although it's hard I think people should be a lot grateful because at least they around people they care about so you're not always on your own there's you can still leave the house for a walk we're still allowed to go for a walk or go shopping I wasn't allowed to do any of that I had to stay in my room and they, they're still healthy right because yeah. the first day I started taking my medication I was in that station but my tongue started to peel and I couldn't even enjoy my food anymore because even that had gone anything with even a kick of spice my tongue would literally be on fire and I think people I think if there's one thing I would love for people to understand is that yeah times are difficult but you don't know how lucky you are to be in lockdown whilst being healthy because 
you'd rather be healthy and in lockdown and than be unhealthy be and not have like a lockdown be let's say go for a walk or still be able to physically be active it's not yeah. like that restricted where you just have to be in your room and you can't do anything else but be in your room you can yeah still like i know a lot of people have yeah a lot of people have picked up hobbies like you know baking and stuff like that but i can't even do that because i might try and bake but can i stand in the kitchen for too long no i can't stand up for that long so what would take a normal person maybe an hour to do in the kitchen would take me a lot longer because of the simple fact that if i'm stood up my body's not in a fetal position which means my i feel like my stomach is stretched and that means the pain's there so i'd have to do a bit so once your stomach into a bowl. is stretched, stretched that's when you start to feel more pain yeah that's why i can't lie on my back or anything because the only p- position i feel most safe and comfortable is when i'm curled into a ball because everything is together and the pain just seems a lot less if i'm stood up if i'm sat straight on the sofa or lying down or anything lying on my stomach lying on my back it doesn't matter if i'm not in a fetal position i'm in pain so you can imagine how, being in the kitchen how long ago did you finish your like all the treatment and everything because that's another thing is that um one thing is that okay you have a treatment which we talked about last week as well is that you have a treatment and then a lot of times what people assume is it's like okay this is it you're healthy now all is good mm. but you finish the treatment and that's not really the end of it yeah i feel like you your whole life eventually changes once you've been through tv there's no going back there's no you can just resume from 20 again you're stuck now from 23 onwards whatever life goes that you you've got to take in and i feel like you're right when when people say oh yeah you, you know you finish your tv treatment you know oh everything's okay with her now but you don't know how much pain now i have to go through now that i've been treated of tb because if it wasn't i if if i, I didn't have tb then i probably wouldn't have had the stomachache from the medication or whatever the cause is I I firmly believe that something from the treatment I had has caused the stomach to hurt and so I do think that oh maybe if I didn't have TB then you know I wouldn't have the stomach pain but even though I finished the medication for my treatment and I've successfully t- completed it and I'm better from the TB I'm not better from the pain that I'm being caused now so you never really get better do you you only just learn to adapt to this new life that you have with post tb symptoms and post tb treatment really i'd still call this abdominal pain it's just post tb now everything that's happened during treatment has stopped fine but i'm still going through the motions of i'm still a patient <laughs> i've not stopped being a patient since i was 20 it's been 3 years and i'm still a patient to these people because I, i'm not better yet so like how how does it work are you tb free or I don't really know how it works. How you know that like let's say once you finish treatment, does treatment does it mean that you don't have TB anymore or like what's what happens yeah. when once you finish? So, I don't have tuberculosis anymore in my lungs. Okay. So it was my left lung that was affected and the medication that I took has cured the tuberculosis. It was a very extensive damage that happened to my lungs, so I do have quite a lot of scarring on my lungs. But apart from that, you know i did really well with my medication and treatment so i have um 
finished the TB. There's no TB left in my lungs or anything that's going to cause me any issues. But obviously, the scarring on your lungs, it means you're still breathless quite often. You can't run for that long. And for someone and like that was quite sporty... You can't get TB again? Like, it can't come back It's once it's gone? Oh, no, gone. you can. Like, how does... Like, okay, so, so it can't come back. <laughs> yeah. If it decides to. <laughs> yeah, so if I if I catch it from someone else again, there's okay. no saying I can't get it again. It, it can't just come from inside of me. But, for example, like, if I come into contact with someone with TB... Oh, okay. I'm not safe still. Like I could still get it. That was a big question for me. That like, can I get this again? Because I do not want to go through this again. Yeah. But even though I've taken all the medication for it, there's still a possibility. It's a very, it's a very obviously unfair, like, it's a situation to be in, and it's probably very rare to happen to get it twice. But there is still an opportunity that if I came into close contact with someone, and my body and my immune system reacted, then I probably could get it again. Yeah. Yeah, so the only way you can get it is if there's somebody who has TB and you get it from them. Yeah. And then you have to go yeah. through the same process of... I assume it would be the same process, okay. yes. Yeah. Because I don't oh. think... I think it would still be drug resistant. <laughs> you can't get rid of it that easily. <laughs> no, I, I thought that once you've had it, you can't get it again. But um, no, I was wrong. You, you can get it again. So how does your daily life look now? um, At the moment with steroids, it's going great. But but without the steroids, it's a lot of... Yeah, it's a lot of... My my daily life is a lot of talking to doctors about my treatment or what the next steps are to cure me. And I'm very lucky to have them quite hands-on. Um, constant appointments and constantly having to travel from Preston to Liverpool which is like an hour's drive for like small appointments or big appointments all of them and there's a lot of trying to balance uni with a house life being a wife uh, just being a 23 year old really like sometimes I just want to chill out you know and my my day-to-day routine is a lot of waking up taking your medication, having breakfast, you know, then trying to keep going through the day and then every four hours when the pain comes back, taking your painkillers again and then taking a nap during the day. So I have to, I'm very lucky that right now uni is online. So a lot of the lectures are recorded now. So I, I'm hardly ever there for the live lectures anymore because I can't keep up. My body just can't stay put the whole time because the pain doesn't let me. So I do a bit of uni and then, I'll have a nap for like an hour. I'll get up and then try and start again, you know, catch up with the lectures and the assignments and stuff like that. Um, but that's literally day to day. And by the time I'm done, it's like the evening. And then I'm so tired because my body is exhausted from trying to balance pain, medication, food, uni. My brain is literally <laughs> got so much going on that I just don't want to do anything. I just want to chill out and watch telly or, you know, I would love to like, I would love to pick up hobbies, but I don't have the time to right now. And I don't feel like I have the energy in my body to do anything because I don't think I'd be able to carry through with it. That's the only issue. I don't feel like I can be committed to anything because I don't know when the pain comes back because as soon as the pain comes back, I have to cancel on things or I can't do certain things because obviously my pain controls me right now. Yeah, like even this podcast, we've... We wanted to do it Wednesday, but you said you still were like recovering from 
um, that procedure and yeah and also we had uni so i was just like we can postpone it um yeah but it is something like well let's say for me i know it i don't mind it i understand like that that's the way you are and i'm not like oh you canceled on me <laughs> or stuff like i actually suggested well, that because i knew in trouble you, if you, are. you wouldn't want to cancel that's why i was like yeah. maybe we can do it another day because i know that you wouldn't want to cancel on me yeah like that's just like the way you are but it's something that when you really when you really respect others it's like you can't really know whether you will be able to show up or not because it's it's just yeah. the way it is like um, yeah I do find it very hard to say no to people because I know the reason I'm saying no is my own condition or my own pain and I just feel bad for doing that to people to say no to them because of something I'm going through because I don't expect everyone to understand what I'm going through even though I feel like a part of me feels like they should understand but then I also know that but, but it's not their fault for not understanding because I feel like if you for example if you were going through something that I'd never been through I'd still find it hard to find the balance in my mind to understand where you're coming from because I don't know what it feels like like you must you you I'm sure you have things going on in your life that I've experienced and for me to understand that I have to be a completely different mindset to try and understand what you're going through, which is why I understand why people can't understand. And I don't expect people to understand what I'm going through, but I'm trying to do work to make sure people understand for other people that will go through it, you know, because TV is still around that, you know, there are ways to support people like me because I would have loved that support. I would have loved the help. You know, there's no financial help for TV patients. There's nothing, there's nothing out there for people like me apart from the support you get from your own family and friends and the good doctors yeah. that you have, there's nothing else. And you don't realize that you lose, you lose a lot whilst you're going through treatment because you lose jobs because you can't work. That means there's no income. You're relying on your friends or your family or, you know, yeah, you people just, that... Uh, you said in that interview that you lost your job because you had a TB. Not because you I lost my job before I was... I lost my job even before I was diagnosed because of the symptoms. I was coughing. And obviously, okay. if you're coughing, I was working around children in a, in a store. And okay. that meant that I was putting people at risk. So I had to give up that job straight away. Even before I was diagnosed with tuberculosis, I had no idea. But I had to leave my job. And that meant I was out of work for two years, two and a half years. And when I tried, and once my nurses tried to get me help, uh, we went through a whole process of personal independence payment. Okay, now tell um, me about this because this was really annoying for me. <laughs> because this is really, it's still really annoying for me. Um, it's basically a social protection package for people that have long-term ill health or a disability. And what it is, it's like you basically have a, they send you a booklet and you basically have to explain, it's a very long booklet and you have to explain your condition and what you struggle with, like, what you struggle with at home, going outside, everything, basically. They ask you everything and they score you. So you send this whole thing off and they have a score system of zero to 12. So zero being there's nothing wrong with you and 12 being you need the most help financially because your condition is very serious. So I went and I, you know, applied for this whole thing, went through the whole process and I got called in for an assessment and they basically came back with an answer of scoring me zero on every single department 
so basically not even one not even yeah. anything I was zero the whole way on everything and then there was a lot of questions that a lot of things that I asked and on everything not even once did they think what I was going through was relevant really like there was no and and I didn't understand and my nurses were like no that's impossible like if if you're not eligible for it then who is like it's impossible I, like I would react the same way when you said like they didn't approve you I was like what do you mean <laughs> yeah I know and we appealed again and again they came back and said nope your condition still hasn't changed you know we're still scoring you zero there's nothing we can help you with also and like then the second the... time it again was zero it wasn't even one no <laughs> wow and <laughs> And after that, I came to a point where I was like, there's no point doing this because you start to feel like, am I seriously going through all this and there's no importance for what I'm going through? Like, really? Like, yeah, like you might even start to question whether it's like important or you just, I don't know, make it up. Yeah. And I just felt really horrible that why can't anyone see what I'm going through? Like, I'm going through all this pain inside and no one can see. And I'm getting, getting school zero is very hurtful in a way to for if you think that you're going through all this for someone to say well what you're going through really isn't relevant like it's not that bad like you know you can manage but without any other thing we we were talking about is before I don't know when but we were talking about the fact I even told you if you go I think you wanted to go to hospital or something and I said you to pretend like something is really bad because what you do is you don't really show how much pain you have you can have like yeah. really bad pain and they're like how do you feel <laughs> yeah I feel a little bit of pain <laughs> so like that's I think that's like and an, we were having conversation about this is that many times when if you are really loud about the pain you have even if it's little usually those are the people that get the most attention because they people assume mm-hmm. that you have the most pain because you're the loudest but if you are the one who is actually like you're sitting there being patient even though like you are having really mm-hmm. bad pain but you don't express it or maybe you don't you don't want to another thing might be that you might feel like you don't want to like over exaggerate how bad yeah. pain is but at the same time yeah. you might actually describe it as it's less than it actually is because you don't want to be like over like all over the place with describing it mm. And that also might be one effect while let's say when you describe somebody the way you experience it you actually maybe like i don't know how to explain it like belittle that experience that you're like oh i'm I'm having a tb and they're like oh it's pretty much like you're having a cough like well no not really but something (laughs) you know like it's, it's like you and i can relate to that in a way because like when i would let's say when i was in hospital with I don't remember what I what's the name of it but like oh I, I remember hospital. Yeah. Time, yeah and I, I wouldn't describe it as something like bad or something like that or I wouldn't even tell people because like mm. I think it, it might be another thing is that especially if you're independent um, maybe you don't want others to see that you're struggling or that yeah. something's wrong because you want yeah. to be able to take care of yourself and I think once you're not able to take care of yourself anymore like what's the last moment that's when you might ask for help and there's nothing else you can do yeah yeah 100% and this whole even though like I I was told that you know maybe you should exaggerate and we had these conversations but why don't you tell them like it's worse than you're actually feeling 
but I felt like I was telling them everything about how bad it actually is. And I if they're not seeing it, I don't think it's it, even like over exaggerating. It's just about changing the way you explain it. Yeah, because like and, I think the way you would explain it, it's, it's like you are explaining it a bit less than it actually is. Yeah, because you don't want to be and, all over the place. Yeah, I just felt like I shouldn't have to necessarily prove to these people how bad it is yeah, that I'm suffering. Point. And I shouldn't have to beg for help because if someone is ill enough to ask for financial help, they don't want to do, do that. No it's one wants to, to ask for help. for help, especially financial help. No one wants to do that. So if someone's in a position where they are asking you for financial help, they shouldn't need to beg or make them feel like they shouldn't need to make these other people understand how bad it is. Like I shouldn't need to beg for it because you should understand how bad it is for me yeah because you end up feeling I, bad for even asking <laughs> yeah and it took me so long to even get through to these people and even now like you know my nurse helped me again the third time and I'm currently now getting the lowest payment possible like I'm not even getting enough to pass me a month like genuinely like every month I I, I basically it basically it, it almost felt like I was pestering them and they've basically given in and been like, you know what, stop her from coming back to us. Let's just yeah. give her the lowest rate of payment because uh, then oh she can't say that she's getting nothing. At least she's getting something. And I necessarily do not agree with the payment I'm getting because I believe my condition to be a lot worse than what they've said. I should not be getting the lowest payment. But who's to argue with people that can't understand a person's pain? There's no point. You are arguing with no one because no one sees the pain you're going through they, they're not ready to understand they're not ready to see that pain they're not ready to open their eyes to it you know how ridiculous this is my neighbor he told me that um he knows a person that person is like overweight and she's getting she's that she goes to the doctor tells that she has uh, anxiety or something like that she can't she can't train because she's anxious and things like that so what they do is they give her some like financial support and she's getting paid every month. So now she can just live her life. Oh, and they also gave her a car because she felt like she can't move around or something like that. So rather than tell her, go to gym or whatever physical activity, just be physically active, eat healthier, drink water, what, like all the basics for health. They just gave her this. Yeah. And he said that now, she has saved for like her mortgage or something like that. Living from that money for like 10 years. And now you See, come that's and you tell me that you get me. the minimum payment. And it's like, where's the, like, I don't know, where's the justice in this? Because they're like, even if you, if you were able to work, you would, despite the pain. Yeah, it's 100%. Just, it's so bad that you just can't work. So how is this fair that you get this like the most, the least amount of money that you can get pretty much like just to get rid of you just asking them all yeah the time. literally that's what I felt like <laughs> when they came back with it I was like these people do not want me to bother them again so they've <laughs> shut me up with the lowest payment that I can't even argue with and I can't argue with it anymore because there's no point because they don't they're just not ready to see what I'm going through so there's no point it, it feels it's quite mentally and physically draining trying to explain to someone that isn't willing to understand like I really enjoy talking about my condition and my experiences and what I've gone through to people that actually are interested like I enjoy telling you things because you're actually you want to know 
but and you want to learn and understand what I'm going through but you can tell these people they don't want to ha- understand yeah, they don't like want to know you have to prove somebody how bad it is yeah it's like I don't is have it to worth prove it you anything it's it's like I am living it you will never understand how it is because I am living it yeah. you're not living it why should I try mm-hmm. to convince you now that this is like bad yes so it isn't like I remember I was really annoyed when you said that you had like the day rejected you and something like that and I was like it makes no sense like yeah if not you who is going to be like more yeah. likely to get it but it's it is weird how it works um but like how how do you manage to deal with because like you still have some expenses when it comes to like health and things like that so how do you deal with it financially because you can't you can't really get a job i literally rely on my husband like i have no income at the moment so obviously with the personal independence payment that i get that doesn't cover anything so we basically rely on on my husband's wage really if i need something for shopping bills you know if i need to for petrol because traveling to liverpool every so often for one single appointment you don't realize how much fuel that actually takes up but no one covers those expenses no one covers oh when i was in hospital my mom came to visit me who was paying all them parking tickets every day that adds up to a lot when you think about it but no one sees that and i felt like it bugged me so much that there was no financial help for tb patients that i've now decided obviously with my masters and my research study where we are making um a survey for catastrophic costs for tb patients so it's it's basically a survey where people can you go through a, a range of questions to explain your financial condition and how your condition of tuberculosis is affecting you and it basically lets us know lets them know what aspects you need help in so what catastrophic costs you're going through that could be like parking diet changes you know traveling expenses you know is it hard are you the bread owner of your own family so you know if you've got tb and you're the breadwinner of your family who brings the money in do you need financial help and stuff like that and there's there's the who have made a booklet like that for people around the world but there's nothing in the uk for that and i'm very lucky that because i've gone through it myself i'm quite passionate and i'm i'm working on developing that handbook now for people that will that will come into good use for people in the UK because they will be able to explain the catastrophic costs they are going through to eventually receive financial help better than getting you know the lowest rate of payment for personal independence payment because they can't understand your condition this is specifically for tb patients so yeah. this is recognizing that they need financial help and they can get it so it is quite interesting really so is it like about their expenses or also like like specifically for tb or just like overall as well it's like your whole lifestyle okay but you you're a tb patient basically so it's for tb patients so post diagnosis even before you're diagnosed you know what loss of income did you have during it after it because there's people that i was lucky enough that i could walk to the hospital sometimes but when i couldn't taking a taxi to the hospital in a city was a lot of money for a student yeah and there are people know. that don't even live in the city yeah and there's and you don't understand like tb medication is universally globally it's free because it's such a long treatment and tb medication you never pay for 
But there's so many other expenses outside of it that people don't see. People just think, oh, her medication is free. So that's it. But all the other, all the other things really add up. that if you have TB, okay, you don't have to pay for medicine, but you can't work. You can't get money in because you physically just don't have energy yeah. to work. And you're wasting a lot more money on like traveling, you know, time. You know, you have to change the things you eat sometimes, you know, because you, you can't stomach certain foods anymore or you're, you know, you're losing too much weight. So you're on supplements and stuff like that. And everything adds up to so much. Like eventually I stopped going home every week. I realized the best thing for me was to stay in Liverpool one weekend and the other weekend my parents would come and pick me up because it just... I didn't have enough energy to even get a train anymore. And like that costs a lot every other week to pay for a student to be paying rent and then paying for their food and then paying for travel and stuff like that. You don't realize like <laughs> there's not a lot of money for a student, like let anyone really. But if you're a student, it just makes it harder to live out on your own. And I'm sure you know that like, it is hard to build up on your own two feet oh, yeah. and try and you know, earn money whilst you're trying to spend so much money as well. I can speak about it from, like, healthy person's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> that by yeah, itself exactly. is hard when you're healthy. <laughs> <laughs> now add the fact that you're fighting for your life on the side. <laughs> it's a bit harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, is, it was hard. But, you know, I managed not the best way because I should have maybe fought for the help that I was, really, I should have got. But, like, the question is, why would you even have to fight for it? Like that's what I was. That's what my argument was. Fighting for it. That why am like, I explaining okay, to these condition. people? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel like I needed to explain to people that I didn't want to understand. I'm more than happy and open to talk to people that want to listen and want to understand. But I'm not ready to sit down with someone that is not ready to listen. Because I could talk to someone and my conversation could mean nothing to them. But I could talk to someone else, the same conversation, and it could actually have an impact. And I'd rather do the latter and talk to someone that actually wants to learn or understand. So I feel like my experiences obviously have taught me a lot, really. Well, I don't think it's only you. It's other people as well. Like those people that I showed your video to watch. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so when I send those people your video, like a lot of people, they respond to me that's inspirational. And that, like, yeah. they have a lot of respect for you. I don't remember the, the specific messages, but I wrote them out to you. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, and the reason why I did it was to show you that I'm not the only one who sees that, that I don't see it as something that's yeah. like inspirational, that it's, that you actually are really strong and things like that. Because when, well, when a friend says that to you, you're like, well, well, obviously you have to tell me that you're my friend. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, hundred percent. I was like, okay, yeah. how can I actually show you that I'm not the only one? And most of the people, if not all of them, that watch that video, they don't even know you. All they mm -hmm. knew about you was what you said in that interview, which is like 15 yeah. minutes. And no, I honestly, that was very problems. helpful. And yeah. many were also surprised on what kind of conditions you had, that like the shower was broken and things like that they're like mm. wow <laughs> how, how, yeah like why would you have that kind of conditions yeah but so at like, the time it, I didn't see anything wrong with it yeah but now that I think about it <laughs> there were so like many a... things wrong <laughs> 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 yeah 
there were way too many things wrong but you just don't see it when you're going through it I think because you're so focused on other things you're focused on like pretty much I think pretty like fighting it on the current day you don't really think about those things because Mm. um if you had like two experiences to compare when you fight it first time and second now which hopefully you never have to do but like then if you first time you had perfect conditions and second time you can be like okay i did like you know what yeah. you would want to but w- once yeah. it happens you you don't really know it's just like a new experience so whatever yeah. happens yeah, you just no, deal with it so it's not something that you're mm-hmm. like and again like you you said that you didn't want to maybe like bother people so you wouldn't go and complain mm-hmm. about something that you're feeling like they're actually trying to help me so why would I go and yeah. complain about something so yeah another thing I wanted to talk about was the importance of support even like having your husband there and supporting you even now after all the even having him I remember I think you you said you had a conversation that you said him that you know I'm gonna be like this like might be forever yeah yeah "Yeah, I know I know (laughs) yeah I'm very grateful for that because I remember when I uh, there was a point where I went to this meeting and there was a conference that I was invited to and there was lunch afterwards with quite like you know respected people and stuff and they were just talking to me about all the things like you know that oh you know you've done really well and stuff and I was like yeah and like oh, this is when I was going through treatment and I was like yeah and you know oh someone mentioned that oh yeah she's getting married and you should have seen the shock on these people's faces because for someone with TB to get married is a very big thing because people don't want to marry people with tuberculosis Why is that? they're not wanted in society it's a shameful thing like I had a client in Kenya uh, a few months ago that I did a mentoring for and he he didn't tell he was a teacher and he didn't tell his boss or his manager or whatever that he was going off sick because he had tuberculosis because it was so like it's such a shameful thing there's so much stigma like no one wants to know someone with TB because it's obviously a disease Wait, so of poverty where does it come from why why is it like that it's more I think it's Personally, I think it's just, there's not enough. If, if someone tells you a disease is contagious, like all of a sudden COVID-19 happened and it's infectious and, you know, you can catch it from coughing and stuff like that. Everyone's wearing masks and, you know, there's a two meter distance and stuff. But we should have probably been doing that already because TB is the same way. It's contracted the same way, but no one did that. And I feel like having TB is obviously, it's a disease of poverty and it's also... I think it's just so is it shameful big... because it's disease of poverty or like I think I'm just it's... wondering one thing is that you I don't know you just don't want to have people around you that are sick because like you can worry about them or you know like it's it's not something that yeah. anybody would want but if it's something that like there's a shame attached to that I'm wondering like what's what's the reason why there's a big shame to... attached to TV a massive shame and I've seen that everywhere I've been where People don't like talking about their condition because once not like I feel like the biggest thing is that people don't want to deal with people with TB because they're infectious and because they're contagious and because they're going through something that and if you're 
if you're unknown to something, the fear of the unknown is bigger than when you know everything about something. So for with COVID-19, everyone knows everything about it. So even though there's fear about it, it's not as bad. But with TV, like people like the people know the main facts that oh it's contagious you know it's infectious you know you can die it's the deadliest disease killer in the world and you know but people don't know the rest of it so the unknown is more scarier than knowing about it because what the facts that you know about it is scary enough and I feel like if you've got TB you become a burden because you can't do anything for yourself you're not bringing any money in anymore you know you can't you can't provide for your family if you're you know the main breadwinner of the family you can't work that means you can't be around people socially you're not well anymore and it's just it's just so stigmatized that people never used to tell others when they had tb and i feel like that's very unfortunate because i'm very proud to say that oh you know i've passed tb but a lot of people can't do it and i feel like that's the hardest thing that if there was no stigma attached to tb i think it would be a lot easier for people to help people with tb but i feel like a lot of people back out from helping people with tb talk about it yeah yeah like it's not a normal conversation like tb like i don't know a lot of people that know what tb is and it's a shame because i'm not gonna say like it's in an interesting case, disease I didn't really know but it, it is unless you got it until you got it because i have heard it yeah i have heard the name but that's about like as much as i knew about it yeah but me I wouldn't too. say I'm too educated in this kind of things anyway so <laughs> yeah no me too I wasn't I had no idea what my own body was going through until I you know googled my way through it <laughs> really so yeah so I can what you said now that once somebody has tb they can't really contribute much so like I assume that might cause them to feel like they are well to exaggerate worthless but like you can't really you can't really add anything you can't really help um yeah and it's like financial or even like i don't know going to the shop or something like that it can be hard so how can how do you i mean that's why if it's something you experience and if you deal with it and how would you i don't know maybe suggest dealing with it or challenging that thought or feeling i mean back to what we were talking about was you know people are shocked when people with tb are getting married or having you know something like that something that's normal but it's so it's like wait does someone actually want to marry someone with tb like that's not normal like you know and i was very grateful i was very proud that oh no you know he does want to marry me even though i had tb but a lot of people a lot of marriages break down a lot of relationships break down like no one you're not you're not marriage material if you've been diagnosed with tb you are like it's almost like you're stained or i believe it's like almost any like, life-threatening disease yeah yeah times, and i'm sure it's have, like that once for, you have a, like some kind of disease like nobody wants to like marry yeah. you or anything like it's that. like yeah it's like you're broken goods now and like you're no good for that that part of your life anymore and I know that it must be with a lot of conditions that it's like that. And I was obviously very lucky that I've met someone that wasn't like that, didn't have that mindset. But I can imagine it being very, very difficult for people to form relationships or socialize with people because they constantly feel the stigma of what they're going through. And I don't think that's fair. But how do you change that? 
perspective, you know, if there's no recognition. Well, I think one thing that from your example is really helpful is that you have this like places to go when they want to hear your story. So you don't feel like you're worthless. You have, mm. you can contribute nothing. You can, you actually are special in a way that you can help specifically with this because you have gone through these experiences. So one thing that can be helpful be even like finding ways so you can share your story that can help other people because mm. like you, we were talking a lot about the fact that once you started, you wish you had somebody who would have put some content out or shared their experiences so that you can learn from them or like mm-hmm. maybe even less, feel like less alone because mm. like, you know, there are people who have TB, but like they're, well, I don't know, but I assume you, from what you said that there aren't many people, if any, that actually talk about it or post about yeah. it or share about it, that you see that that's actually an actual human being. It's not just like some, I don't know, some article written or mm-hmm. I don't know, some scientific paper or whatever, but it's actual real human being talking about their experience. Yeah, I think that helps people a lot more because you, we, I, I don't know about you, but I quite like reading uh, things people go through and like how they battle through certain things. And they're quite interesting because it's, it's quite a nice read, you know, to see how strong people are. And I have to remind myself of that of how I feel when I read other people's things because I always feel like like I made this Instagram page and I, I was I've not been active on it for a while because I feel like do people really want to read my life story it's a bit boring like we always talk about writing this book but I'm always on a on the edge because I'm like yeah but people are going to get bored no one's going to want to read it but then I have to tell myself that I'm interested in reading other people's stories I'm interested in seeing what they've accomplished maybe there are people who would be interested in reading about what I'm going through and you know it could help someone and that's what I want to do help people because I would have loved that help in my time and I want to give that back now yeah exactly and it doesn't even have to be somebody who has TB it's just like any hardship it Mm -hmm. is there is something about it that is interesting to read or watch or listen about how a person overcomes this like obstacle that like in that moment once you are faced with it you feel like I don't know how I'm gonna deal with it or what's gonna happen or like oh, yeah. in your case you didn't even know like what it is that you have oh yeah I, I clearly remember there was one night when I was in hospital and I was in isolation and I was sat there and I was like my mom left obviously because she she used to come in the morning and then go in the evening and I remember I was in that room at night and it just came to me that what if I actually die now like what if like I don't make it out of this hospital room anymore like what if this is it was for it, me like genuine isolation yeah yeah I just had this fear because Obviously, I was told that the medication wasn't working and now we're going to have to put a pick line because the, 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 the plan was really to just be oral medication. How does it so feel I when just you take hear that, the, oh, the medication is not working? That's when I felt like, oh, maybe that was the, like, so I was supposed to be just taking oral medication and then obviously they realized that, oh, it's not enough for her body. So we need to start giving her IV therapy through a pick line. And I 
and I, I was sat there and I was like okay that means it's not working that means I, the TB medication wasn't working and now the drug resistance medication isn't enough and now they're going to try other things and you don't know if they're just trial and testing or they're confident enough and I did think to myself that what if this is the last time I just saw my mom because my body is not reacting well to this anymore like but I had to so quickly switch that mindset off because I was like, if I start so thinking like that now, you switch it off. It's like I just I couldn't let myself easy to switch it off because I had I felt like I had a purpose. I felt like I wasn't useless. Like I I knew that I was. You didn't want to accept the fact that this is it. Yeah, I was like, it's impossible. A part of me was like, well, if it is, then it's sad because I didn't get to see my dad either stuff like that or my brother and like you know but then in my head I was like but I'm here trying to fight something off surely there is the way to fight this off dying is not my last resort and I'm not at 20 years old dying in isolation because TB took control you know I I want to go to uni and I want to you know get married and do all this and you know I kind of realized that if I don't switch this mentality off right now, I'm going to sleep on it and I'm going to wake up feeling horrible and I'm going to go through the next day horrible yeah, because you would have to fight not only a disease but also your mind. Yeah, and I didn't have my thoughts to go anywhere else because I was so alone with my thoughts in isolation. I felt like if I start thinking things like that, I can't get out of that thought mind my, my, that mindset anymore. So I'd rather save myself and you know be positive whilst I'm in isolation rather than this is really go down this dark hole. Because I think many times what what many people can experience, but I, and I'm really curious if there's any way that distinguishes whether it's like the person or how it changes is that in your case, you're like, I can't be negative. But a lot of times many people in that situation, they would keep worrying about it. And they every yeah. day they would be like, what if today is the day? What if today is the day? And especially when it's multi-drug resistant, because like the medicine is not working and like yeah. and you have googled everything you know like do you know what's what are like the survival what are the what is it called the death rate or like how how likely it is it that you can survive it it's very hard to i don't know the exact facts but i know it's very hard to survive because it's so hard to i think it's the whole topic of adherence like trying to adhere to these medications for such a long period of time is very hard it's like taking medication the reason why you get nurses to your house every two weeks is because they're trying to keep up on making sure that you're taking this medication because if you stop taking this medication then your body stops fighting it and then you go into a relapse of a big it just gets worse and they emphasize that all the time and i feel like, I feel like you also a- have to be really disciplined with the medicine you take yeah and if you and I think that's where people the I think that's why the survival rate is harder and it's less because it's hard for so many days every single day to wake up take the same medication take the same things morning afternoon evening and go to the hospital all the time and then you're you're not only trying to fight this disease but you're getting side effects on top of that and to tell yourself that it's okay to get these side effects because you're treating something else is very hard all the time because you're just like, when does it end? It just keeps getting worse. And, you know, you're How constantly... Do you stay positive? How do you stay positive when things start to get worse? 
because one thing is that let's say you have you are going through treatment and you start to feel like something is improving but then something bad happens how do you maintain that positivity or maybe don't go as much in those negative thoughts when that happens i honestly just had to constantly tell myself that i i used to have like a little countdown for like how many days i have have left till the treatments ended and like sometimes like the doctors would add a month on or take a month out like you know or add two months on and I used to be like oh it's so annoying because you've added an extra month of these medications and stuff like that and I felt I felt like the whole process of me trying to battle these negative thoughts were okay this has gone wrong but something else is happening better if I don't take these medications I, I know I'm getting side effects but would I rather have the side effect that I can cure that's not as bad as TB or would I rather stop the TB medication, get worse and eventually die anyway? I'd rather treat the deadliest infectious disease inside of me than try and worry about the side effects right now because I knew that there's always a way to treat the side effects because side effects are from everything. You can take, you can take an ibuprofen tablet and you, know, you can have a side effect. It just depends on your body. And I just knew that any medication you take has side effects to it. And I knew that if I was taking such toxic medication, there were going to be side effects. And I trained myself to be, understand that you're going to feel horrible about these medications. Like you had mood swings, you know, you had, you. I looked different and I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way, you know, I was losing all this weight or like, you know, anything, the, the way like I was having this sensation in my feet or whatever it was, I didn't, like it and I didn't know what to do with it but I knew that I would rather get rid of the TB than not get rid of the TB and suffer side effects too because I knew that I could get rid of the TB and then deal with the side effects but I couldn't deal with the side effects if I still had the TB because then I'd be struggling anyway. Yeah so your main focus was just to get rid of it no matter what are the side effects and then deal with side effects. Yeah I mean I tell the doctors yeah I tell the doctors when I had a side effect and there were always ways they helped to get rid of the side effects so like when I had the sensations in my feet and stuff they immediately took me off that medication they were like okay it's damaging your nerves let's take you off it there was another medication that was causing another side effect like my stomach problems and we decided that okay let's stop that medication because that could be the cause of your pain and there are ways obviously you feel like you're still being treated and I, and I appreciated that help because as soon as I stopped the medication that was causing my side effects my feet felt a lot better. Like, you know, I wasn't in that constant pain. I'd rather be numbing my toes than feel that pain that yeah. I was feeling before. So what are your next steps now? What, what, um, what I know you looks got, like? <laughs> I know you want me to say I'm going to write a book. <laughs> I, I am not saying I want you to say it. <laughs> um. No, but I want to. I do want to. I would love to... Um, finished my master's in international public health and so what progressed master, from that what are your really. master's about my master's is about so i'm it's basically at the school of tropical medicine in liverpool and it's basically about tropical diseases in low-income countries in around the world so places like africa india you know south sudan and places like that where they don't have a lot of money there's a poverty there's a lot of poverty but the disease the prevalence of disease is insane 
and it's helping international it's how it's it's more talking about policies and how you can help people in low-income settings with the diseases that they have to fight so for example like tb malaria hiv aids all of that you know there's so many like chronic diseases that people in low-income settings have to deal with and there's no way sometimes there's no help for them and so that's why I decided to study this and then branch out into tuberculosis because that is a disease you know internationally and in the UK so kind of got the best of both worlds in that so I'd like to finish that off and then branch off into that and basically work in the field of tuberculosis really um, my main focus is that now helping people with TB uh, I'm, I am part of like you know the WHO civil society task force for TB patients uh, we work as a group at the UK app TB um, where I'm an executive member of the committee and you basically talk to you're trying to get through to the parliament about how to eradicate TB and give give importance to TB that it needs and obviously I'm making this catastrophic cost survey along with my supervisor and a team of people where hopefully there will be a survey of people with TB to help with their costs and stuff and then also write a book <laughs> I can't wait I am willing to wait if needed <laughs> but it's maybe once I, I finish my master's to... yeah maybe once I finish my master's I would definitely um right now I have quite a few opportunities right now with I'm quite obviously quite busy with my master's with all this work I'm doing on the side like for you know all these different things so I think once I finish my master's I will probably have more time still to sorting focus out on your side effects yeah that too <laughs> see I forgot again <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a norm <laughs> my brain just literally ignores it my brain doesn't I like, like every about time it. when we have a conversation I always add to you like oh like and don't forget that on the side you're still finding your side effects like yeah it's not my brain minor. just <laughs> yeah I think my brain just like completely wipes that bit out and is like no that's not happening you know I think I'm so desperate to live a normal life that I try and in my head tell myself that you're living a normal life but then obviously yeah, I'm well, not. in a way you you create that like illusion not in a bad way mm -hmm. illusion that you're yeah. having a normal life it's but like it I'm living in a bubble yeah yeah I live in a big bubble thing because <laughs> <laughs> it is a good thing because then you don't focus as much on the fact that you have tb slowing you down yeah. or affecting you negatively it still is affecting you but you don't focus as much on the fact that oh i can't do this because of this you still yeah. find ways you probably fit it around db schedule <laughs> but yeah. you still find ways how to yeah manage to still live and also add value to others and study and things like that. i think that. i'm just trying to do the best i can out of a bad situation at the moment you're doing pretty well i have to say <laughs> thank you <laughs> and it's not just because of a friend <laughs> yeah um maybe there's anything else you want to add or i feel like we've covered quite a lot and not it was quite, quite interesting yeah thank you for coming <laughs> You're welcome and i'm looking forward to the next podcast we will have another <laughs> conversation when the book is ready <laughs> <laughs> that's right. fine you might be waiting a while, but that's fine. <laughs> well, it's worth the wait. So, yeah. All right. 
thank you. Uh, thank you so much.